0: Oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that.
1: Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, Me, oh my, have enjoyed that. yes boy. Me oh myco, and welcome back to another In the Sheds interview on Code with Kingy, where for this show I sit down with a member of the county's Monaco Steelers and capped player for the Japanese Sunwolves and Highlanders and Conan O'Donnell. Now I talked with the front rower about his rise to the rugby ranks back home in Ireland, the differences in the styles of play in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere, and how on earth he found himself playing in Pukekohe after getting off to such a hot start as a youngster back in Europe. Enjoy! Alright, well kia ora Conan and thank you very much for jumping on Code with Kingi. Um, I really appreciate you accepting my invitation uh, and yeah, sharing a little bit about yourself. um, From a little bit of the reading I've done, it's been a unconventional journey to most um, professional footy players that I know of, so yeah, I'm keen to get a better understanding of how an Irishman ended up in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me.
0: Um, So how I got to New Zealand was I was with Connacht Rugby for a few years and then they let me go, maybe, well they decided not to renew my contract in 2019, around April time, and then I was like, I wasn't English qualified or French qualified, so I couldn't really get a gig over in England or France, or if I was gone, I would have been like D2 or championships. And then my agent was like, would you try minor 10? So he tried to approach a few minor 10 teams. And then they obviously asked around about me to a couple of coaches I had in contact that were from New Zealand. And one was Corey Brown, who used to be the coach of Otago. And then he just messaged me on Facebook and said, oh, look, I hear you want to go overseas. And he was coaching um, Sunwolves at the time. So then I went off at the Sunwolves, uh, so kind of tr- like at least released me early from my contract to go off with the Sun and then I was able to go off with them for six weeks. Um playing all around the world it was an awesome experience. And then uh I was telling the lads I wanted to go play Matter Ten and still had no luck. I was talking to a couple of teams, uh even in Japan for after Sun and then polyassi Mana who used to play for Counties was telling me that Daryl Suasua, who used to coach the Counties, was looking for a prop, so he just recommended me and then yeah, I was in Argentina. I signed a contract to come to Counties. Went home for three weeks, and then jet off to New Zealand to good
1: old Pukakoi. <laughs> I've been here ever since. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, bro. Like, had you um had you had any? I mean, obviously, with you being a rugby guy, you know the All Blacks and you know New Zealand. But had you ever like thought to come over at all on a holiday? I know, I know, like New Zealand's actually quite a big or sort of sought after destination, um, which is weird to a lot of us Kiwis because you know we're down yeah, at the bottom of the world. And there's not a lot to do, I guess, you know, from our perspective. So, I mean, like, for you coming to New Zealand, was it, you know, were you primarily focused on the footy? Or were you quite sort of excited to, you know, come to New Zealand?
0: Uh, to be honest, I didn't actually want to go at all. <laughs> I remember, like, I had a great time over in Japan and stuff and all the places we were in and I came home and I the contract signed and I, I just said to my brother, I was like, I, I, to be honest, I don't actually want to move to New Zealand because, like, it was so far away and I never knew how how long I'd be there for. And he was just like, don't be stupid, go over and you'll enjoy it. And then he wasn't wrong. Yeah, I absolutely love it here. Like initially, I wasn't really looking forward to it at all. And I was just going over for footy. And um, at the start, like between my ten, I didn't see much of the country, but like I've decided to travel around since, did the Kiwi experience. And I've lived all over the country now at this stage. So I've got around a lot more than I thought I would have. <laughs> and I've been here a lot longer than I thought I would have as well. So.
1: so would you say that having done a bit of traveling now that you would put new zealand over japan or is japan still um second to back home in ireland
0: oh i absolutely love japan (laughs) it was cool it was awesome i'd love to go back again in the future but i do love new zealand it's like ireland with better weather so like nice beaches (laughs) nice mountains and just people are very similar as well similar cultures so the banter is all the same so like it's not as much as a culture shock so i think it's a lot easier to live in especially long term
1: than japan Well, it's good to hear. Yeah, we hear a lot of lovely things about the Irish people. So, um, the fact that you, as an Irishman, think the same way with Kiwis, um, we'll definitely take that in our stride. But we'll go um back to from the beginning, bro. Um, how did you even get to playing rugby? And like, maybe tell us a little bit where you grew up in Ireland. So I
0: grew up in a small town called Sligo in the northwest of Ireland, and how I describe it to people here is it's the home of Westlife, and then the band, and then there's a show called Normal People. I think was on TVNZ, so a few people have read the book or seen the tv show so when they hear about Sligo, they instantly associate it with that but uh yeah so from there started playing rugby when i was like six maybe seven um and just played club rugby the whole way through and then my school would have had a bit of would have had a bit of rugby but like it's not like the first 15 comps here or like even the bigger schools in ireland like we didn't have a school in my second last year of high school and then i just played club rugby and then Got to play Ireland under 18s, I was selected for that so I was pretty delighted after playing age grade for Connacht and then got into the sub academy, and then into the academy and then I signed my first pro contract three, four years ago maybe,
1: three years ago. Unbelievable, so I mean you, you mentioned the academies and obviously you go through the under 18s, I mean like were you were you quite good all the way through, were you a late bloomer like how did it work for you?
0: Um, probably peaked a bit too early. Sometimes I think, but the uh, the system's a lot different from here to mm. to um home. Like at home, you kind of have to be filtered in a lot earlier, and then like work your way through, and then obviously earn your like spot on um a senior team. So I was fortunate enough to play when I was nineteen. My first game, so I was buzzing. I've seen it, like a long time ago, but um, and then obviously a couple of injuries happened, and then a lot out of favor and then other lads got ahead of me and then eventually just didn't get kept on but what i found a lot in new zealand is kind of there's a lot more late bloomers than at home because i suppose once you're in the picture in ireland you kind of you have to get in the picture at a young age where in new zealand people i've seen people get super contracts at 27 28 and just Mm. some even gone on to play for the all blacks that late Mm. where back home you don't really have that much of a success story because we don't have minor 10. Yeah. We just have the academies and then program, and then there is a, the amateur uh, competitions a lot bigger, but, uh, obviously not as many players come through that.
1: Yeah, so on the subject of academies, because it's it's quite a big thing here. Um, me sort of being tied into the club scene, um, here in New Zealand, uh, or here in Wellington primarily, and you know there's a lot of politics around, players not being picked for you know the likes of your Wellington Lions or your Counties Monaco Steelers because they're not, you know, they're not in that frame, you know, they're not part of academy. So would you say from what you mentioned, or what I guess what I've picked up is, so is it pretty much, because I know that over in Europe, they tend to pick, you know, kids like you up around 13, 14, 15. Is it like practically like impossible to get picked up for, for a professional team, you know, like, like Connect, like you did, if you aren't involved in those academies, you know, from such a young age?
0: Um. Yeah, so I suppose if you're not in an academy by twenty, nineteen, twenty. 20, you're kind of, it's it's close to impossible. So there's a competition called the AIL, the All Ireland League, which is basically just all the the best clubs in Ireland, all the best amateur games. So maybe if you're in the, one of the top teams, in them a team called Lounge and turn your a few players have gone on to get pro contracts from playing well from them, but it might be one or two every couple of years. So it's 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 close to impossible. I've played with a couple of lads who've come through that rank. Mm-hmm. But they've actually like played Ireland in their twenties and then just haven't gone the academy spot or just played well club rugby wise. But they've all been pretty young when they actually came through that system as well. So Yeah, it's a it's a lot harder to, to get through it, I suppose. I suppose nothing's impossible though, is it?
1: No, no. Yeah, we've definitely seen um some outliers come through both, you know, abroad and here in New Zealand. But, see, so you, you talk about how you, you went on to play Ireland schools um, and you're a part of the Connect sort of academy. So, when you left school, did you sort of put all your eggs in the rugby basket or did you have a plan B?
0: Well, my mum's a teacher, so she obviously wanted me to study as well. So, I... Well, in our academy system, you don't actually have time to work, so, like, a lot of lads would do trades here and they'd, like, get up early, do the gym session and the skill session. Where when we are in the academy, we are training from, like, 9 a.m to like 12 p.m or like have a break in between and then go two to five so I studied on the side but I was never actually in uni I always kind of just whatever did uh did my study two or three weeks before the exam and crammed it in and um yeah I suppose coming from the my background I was kind of made to uni so I studied commerce and NUIG and I finished that in 2018 I think it was
1: Oh, wicked. So you've got another string to your bow to perhaps fall back I on. Do. When... I
0: haven't used it yet. <laughs> Hopefully I'll we'll
1: have to. Yeah, fingers crossed with that. I mean, you mentioned before that you made your senior debut at age 19, which is pretty quick, especially for a front roller. And I mean, I mean, and you went on to mention, obviously, you fall out of favor, you have a couple of injuries, but at that time, when you're thrust into the top level at such a young age, were you just buzzing? Were you just like, what the heck is going on? Like, how did this all happen so quickly? And like, how big a part did like playing a part in the Ireland Under Twenties play with that in terms of you like progressing so quickly through the ranks?
0: Yeah, I suppose I just had like a, a great run of things. I like went from Ireland Schools to Ireland Under Twenties a year young, and then playing for Connacht. The following pre- like after the the following season, like early on, but it was a World Cup year, so like we were missing a couple of lads, and then there was a couple of injuries, so. I, obviously did, I did well in one of the train sessions in the, the weeks coming up to that. And then then the coach, Pat Lamb, at the time was like, oh, we actually want to play him. So then I got a, I think I got eight games that year. And then I got injured. And then I felt like I was on an elevator of success, just going right up. Everything was happening. Like, going to plan as you, you dream. And then everything just went... <whistles> a couple of injuries happened. Then I didn't play for Connacht for like two years. I was playing club rugby for like a year after that.
1: And then just battling really and I guess that's really the reality of of rugby it's itself right is that you I mean you, I mean, you see it you know with, with stars over here in terms of the guys who have gone on to play X amount of games for the All Blacks and then all of a sudden they hit, hit a dip in form or they get a couple of injuries and as as much as the the high is, or how coveted the highs you know w- with footy i mean i i'm only a club rugby battler, so me getting a win on a saturday and then riding it out you know through saturday night on the bears you know that i love that high but i, I guess for someone like yourself you, you've sort of seen it all in terms of come through the ranks at, at a young age where you know you're typically looking to you know just apply a trade where you're you know you're only really looking to train with these teams and all of a sudden you're with the senior team and It's like, wow, life can't get any better. But then, yeah, unfortunately, it can be a cruel game as well with it being as physical as it is. But, I mean, you you went on to mention the fact that, you know, you, you played with the Sunwolves and that got your opportunity in New Zealand. So was that like, were you on the look for other gigs, you know, when, you know, selection wasn't quite going your way your last couple of years in Ireland?
0: I suppose I always wanted to play for Connacht and then go on to play for Ireland. But obviously it, like, slowed down a lot in the last few years than it was at the earlier years. Everyone was going well and then everything kind of dropped and then like, it was like a little, it was like a, a stock in the market, just going up and down. But then, yeah, I suppose, I wasn't really looking at other teams. I was kind of always on to stay there. And then when they didn't keep me on, I was obviously devastated. And then Wolves was kind of just like a, this is kind of what saved my career really, kind of kept it going. If it wasn't for
1: the Wolves I'd probably be working full time the last three, two years now at this stage true so and then so bouncing off of that so you go to Japan and how long were you with the Summers were you there for the full season I was only there for six weeks <laughs> it's not a bad little holiday we did, <laughs> <laughs> we did all, play all play, did the travelling
0: as well we went to Oz South Africa oh wow Argentina so literally looked... got there at the right end yeah
1: right <laughs> end. <laughs> yeah Sounds like a wicked times. Okay, so you you with the summer for six weeks. You secure your deal um to go and stay in um in South Auckland, and you come over New Zealand and you spend your first year um with the Steelers uh, and you're playing the Mitre Ten Cup and um having gone that, gone back and done my research um you guys didn't actually have that great a year but I guess my first question for you is having played over in Europe and then. Playing Super Rugby for some Sunwolves and then playing in New Zealand's competition. How does the rugby vary? Like, I mean, because you would have seen it all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I get asked this all the time, but um, like, rugby's rugby at the end of the day. It, it, it is a lot faster here, and I find like it can be a lot more physical. Like, the hits kind of people go in, they wouldn't rap as much here, so you're actually able to like kind of swing off the tackle and kind of get, in, you might get initially bumped back, but because people don't rap, you actually make two or three yards extra because. Because the momentum just, you can just kind of swing away or like do a little pirouette off. But um, it is it is a lot faster here. Um, I actually enjoy it more personally a lot more like free flowing. Especially with the Steelers, we had like a lot of, Rosli players who just offload, out of yeah. nowhere, and a lot of them would actually pay off. One or two wouldn't look so flash, but most of them were pretty, pretty
1: wild. And so knowing that in terms of like your own self enjoyment, um, playing I guess a Kiwi brand of rugby. Do you, like, looking back at some of the players that you perhaps train with back in Ireland, you know, is it, you know, because I guess the the big thing for us Kiwis looking at what happens in the Northern Hemisphere, I guess, particularly with England. Um, and even Ireland, to a certain extent, when they play the All Blacks, you know, they, they play quite negative. Um, and it's not as free-flowing as, you know, some of the, the Southern Hemisphere's brands of football. So, I mean, are, are there guys back home that you think would more so suit the Kiwi game and maybe don't go on to um, play... Higher honours because of the way the game's played over there? Like, do you think that it would actually be beneficial if you know, certain players actually came to New yeah. Zealand?
0: There's a lot of players I would have played with, like, growing up who were, like, kind of told they're too small to play, but, like, obviously, they were their abilities 10 times better than, like, some of the bigger players just because they don't have that kind of, like, ev- that look, or they kind of try and turn them into um, a different position because they feel like, obviously, or put them in scrum half because they feel like they're too small to play fullback or winger. Mm hmm. Um, but, like, if you put them in fullback here, they'd, like, literally blossom and people probably would overlook the fact that they're a lot shorter or not as big, just just based on their ability, like, they'd probably make a lot more headway here.
1: That, that, that is quite funny, though, because eh? especially with the way the game's going now in terms of how big a part size plays, and, and you're see it, you seeing it here at the moment, um, especially with the schoolboy game, in terms of the kids that are being picked and the kids that are getting overlooked for academies because of their sizes. but. Yeah, I guess that's the, the unfortunate thing with the, the way the professional <laughs> game's going, eh? It's even bigger in Ireland
0: than it is here for that, like, looking for people for best in size.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's stupid, though, I, I way. Like I think the, England's yeah. even
0: bigger, apparently. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at the the size of some of the halfbacks these days. I mean, like, you think of, like, a Conor Murray, and then like, he's pushing six foot, probably tipping over 90 kegs, eh? This when, typically, halfbacks the position reserved for the smaller fellas, it? Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I guess, like, for us, we got guys like Aaron Smith who are sort of, you know, doing it for the little fellas and, like, Damian McKenzie's. But I guess getting back to your footy, though, bro, so you you, you finish up your, your Mitre 10 Cup season with the Steelers and you mentioned to the, to the fact that you had the conversation with your brother about not wanting to come to New Zealand because you didn't know how long it was going to last, so... How long was it before you got hooked up with a super deal or a super preseason? Like, did you know during the Mitre Cup season that you had something to fall back on in the summer, or was it sort of touch and go? Oh,
0: so when I moved over, I uh, was like obviously planning to try and play my way into a super team, and then maybe about halfway through or three quarters of the way through, after probably playing some of the best rugby I've played, I found out there was like a foreign player rule where super teams are only allowed two foreign players. So I was told a few were looking for props before I came over, and then, then I found out all the teams had their like foreign players slots already full up. So I was just like, oh, here, <laughs> <laughs> took this risk for nothing, and then, um, <laughs> then obviously uh, a few because uh, a few lads were away with the All Blacks. I got approached to do preseason with the Crusaders, maybe a month, two months out of their their preseason. So I, literally oh, wow. just came off, um, I was actually doing the Kiwi experience at the time and um, I literally came off of a bungee jump and had a text <laughs> there and a, that the offer was there and I just had to sign the contract that day. But it still wasn't concrete, I actually remember, because my visa was up so I had to leave the country, Right. so I decided to go to um, Austin, Texas because my friends had just moved there. But I actually only bought a one-way flight because I wasn't sure if I was coming back to New Zealand or going home to Ireland after yeah and then um cuz nothing was confirmed so and then when i got to the airport they're like look you're not allowed going to go into america without a return flight or an exit flight so i was just i put all my eggs in the one basket and paid for a flight back to christchurch hoping hoping that the deal went through and spent all my savings on it and then thankfully maybe two or three days into austin i found out i just put pen to paper and I uh, was able to go with them for the month so i flew back to christchurch just before
1: December, two thousand and nineteen. Oh, unbelievable! Talking about betting on yourself, dipping into the, the old savings account, <laughs> to, to, I know. in the hope that you keep on the dream alive. I
0: got to Christchurch. I have to get a loan from my brother then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey mate, I guess that's that's how the sort of good karma works. hey eh? like if you, if you double down on yourself and you, and you truly believe it's gonna come through, the universe pays it back. But okay, so Austin, Texas, back to Christchurch. And you're doing pre-season with arguably the, men behind the All Blacks, probably the most successful rugby team in the world. Um, so, yeah. how how did that experience go down? Because I, 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 there's a a fella that I know, George Bauer. He um he's yeah. with the Crusaders set up at the moment, yeah, and
0: there,
1: he, yeah, yeah, he he's a he's a young boy from Lower Hut, and I mean he just you know he couldn't say enough good things about the setup they have down there and, and especially the front row coaching. So I mean, how much did you take away from your preseason that you spent with them?
0: I was only there for maybe six weeks and I honestly improved so much. Everyone's just on the same like page. I couldn't believe it. I was just like in awe with how like everything was just so in line. Like and you obviously care about like these great cultures and uh, these great winning teams, but you, it just really pushes you to get better because obviously, because there's so much competition in every position there. And like, obviously you don't want to be that fella behind. So like obviously encourages you to raise your game and then Mm -hmm. everyone's trying to help each other out. Like everyone's on the computers, everyone's like working hard in the gym. Everyone's having these like little conversations to make the whole team improve. And you can obviously see why they've done the four in a row now they've done, you can obviously see why they have done that because just simply the culture there is incredible. Just, a winning culture isn't
1: it Mm, so how does how does top flight because I mean top flight here in New Zealand the Super Rugby how did how does our setup and our trainings compare to the time you spent with Connect
0: oh they're very similar yeah the coaching coaching is very similar yeah some coaches are better here some coaches are better in Ireland Mm -hmm. Um, facilities are very similar on par with each other Uh, obviously the good thing about here is just the weather is better so you actually get a lot more quality trainings in and you're not like you're not actually like covered to the max in leggings and two Underarmers and wind windcheaters because it's actually you're usually in singlets rather than that singlets and uh, visor and zinc and your nose rather than all twenty layers. Yeah, yeah the facility
1: trend are, are very similar. Okay, that's interesting to know. Um, but it is you know you, I mean you spend your six weeks with the Crusaders, but that wasn't the end of your Super Rugby journey, so. You ended up hitting even further south, um, in the South Island. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So I was actually um, so we we're trying to stay in Christchurch, but then an injury happened in uh, Highlander, So the New Zealand Rugby were kind of like, oh, sure, he's going to go down to Dunedin if he if he's going to stay with a Super Team. So I went down to Dunedin on some random Wednesday midweek, played a internal game that weekend, and then. Got my first cap for them two weeks later, against the uh, against the um, Brumbies in the exact same place. I got my um, Sunwolves cap in the Geo Stadium and Tony Brown happened to be the head coach of both teams. So it was pretty <laughs> it's pretty weird how it all worked out, isn't
1: it? He seems to be somewhat of a good luck charm for you, or at least you, you seem to be following him around. And I mean, I mean, like, I mean, I, know, it's great. I mean, I, I sort of overlooked the the Sunwolves thing, but I mean, can you? Can you take me back to, you know, your, your debut for the Highlanders? I mean, like, even, like, being named, you know, in the team, you know, on the Tuesday, and then what do you remember from that game?
0: I kind of just rocked with it. Um, just, whatever. Went with the team to Canberra. Went to the same hotel I was there, like, a few years later. Er, a few months earlier. So it was all quite, like, didn't really think much of it. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that kind of hit me was um, the night before the game, whenever, like, Someone gets a new cap for the Highlanders. They kind of just actually I better not give it away. Just in case anyone's listening who becomes capped in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but they uh, they kind of put on like a little special show for you for who's getting capped. Okay. Just that like, kind of special and close to the heart. So it's kind of it's kind of emotional. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, just played the game next day. I came on with maybe twenty minutes to go. And we actually came back from like a few points down to win in the last minute of the game which was pretty incredible, and just made the, the debut even better.
1: Yeah, yeah, the beer's always sweeter in the sheds um, when you've got a W rather than an L. But yeah, so you, you go on to gain a couple more caps under your belt before COVID brings the competition to a halt. So how big of a spanner in the works was COVID for you in terms of you know being on that break? I mean, because you'd only been brought in as injury cover um, from the stuff that I have read. And so, and you know, your contract ran out. So, I mean, like, what was going through your head at that time? Yeah, so my contract had just ran out.
0: And then, so I was working a week as a labourer and then went to a 660 concert. And then whatever, woke up the next day and had to catch a flight to Argentina because <laughs> someone got injured when they were playing in South Africa. So I had to get a catch flight to Argentina. And when I arrived there, I was actually only just there for the training squad. So it was like a little holiday. Mm-hmm. And then when we were in Argentina, it was game, announced that the game was canceled and then that we'd have to self-isolate like once we got back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So when we got back, I actually had to give up my apartment because I was only meant to be in Dunedin for a month, but I ended up staying longer because of just the way things worked out. So when I came back from, came back from Argentina, I had to move into a new apartment with people I never met and then within like a week later the lockdown happened around the country so then I was in lockdown with a Scottish couple and an Irish guy who actually just went to play for the club team I was involved with in Dunedin so we were in lockdown for like three or four months and then obviously the, the New Zealand Super Rugby Camp was announced and then once that finished I got a job painting so I was painting for a few weeks and then I got called from the Crusaders to go back to the Crusaders because I was allowed to play for them because it was a new competition. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the Highlanders, back to the Highlanders after the Crusaders. And then I went back to the Crusaders for the last two weeks. So I was actually a part of the Crusaders when they bet Highlanders to win the um,
1: New Zealand Super Rugby Camp.
0: And then I was, yeah, crazy. (laughs) Just going back and forth to the two of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, aside from having to the... acclimatise yourself with the two different teams because it seems like you're just bouncing between Christchurch and Eden a fair bit um, towards the middle part of last year I mean aside from footy though for a guy who's travelled the world playing rugby and you, you practically lived out of a suitcase ever since you left home and you go to Japan I mean know you spent a couple of weeks back home before you came to New Zealand and then you're off to Texas and you're back to New Zealand I mean can you, I don't know, give the viewers an understanding? It's like, yeah, I know that you're, you're obviously very appreciative that you get to play a game that you love and get paid for it, but just how difficult is it, you know, living out of a suitcase and especially being on this side of the world where perhaps, you know, you don't have as much family or sort of close friends?
0: Yeah, I suppose the hardest bit is kind of that I'm only doing injury replacements that it's just so uncertain. So I never actually know when I'm going to get paid next or like how long I have to like live off that savings. So I'm like, kind of have to be kind of a lot smarter than my money and I'm not very yeah I'm not very good with money in general so I suppose it's kind of made me a bit more independent um I've lived in about I was saying to someone I've lived in like 10 houses in the last two years 10 to 12 houses in the last two years and just I suppose I don't really get stressed but I suppose if someone who got stressed easily it wouldn't really be for them because it can be quite stressful just kind of not knowing where you're going to live next week or mm-hmm. when you're going to like get, get that contract up or like if you just kind of training for nothing if it'll never come up again or if that's it or if this is your last time or if you get injured, then yeah, you get injured playing an, an injury replacement and it's finished and then you have nothing then. You kind of just risk everything really, don't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I only ask that question because I think that um, there's a perception with rugby players and it's true for some of them that they are rock stars and they do get treated like rock stars and they get paid like rock stars, but you get guys like yourself, um, and there are quite a few guys like yourself that, you know, perhaps have the tag of being a professional rugby player, but people don't actually see, you know, all the graph that you're having to do in the background, um, you know, just to even come in as an injury cover. I mean, you know, you're fighting to, I guess, knock someone out of a you know, out of a professional starting place, you know, starting for a super rugby franchise, but you know, you've got all this other stress of you, like you said, not knowing when your next paycheck's going to come in, not knowing if you're going to have to pack your bags. And I guess for me, like, what I love to do with these interviews, um, you know, is just, you know, get these sorts of stories because I guess that's the stuff that gets often overlooked with professional rugby, if you get where I'm coming from. Yeah, I suppose everyone just sees the kind of
0: superstars <laughs> and then you have the old butlers like myself. <laughs>
1: But even then, like, you know, when when you go to introduce yourself, I I mean, you don't strike me as a guy who says, oh, you know, I I play footy. But when people would find that out, that that automatically, I don't know, put you in a box in terms of, oh, you know, it's his shout or, you know, like he must be living the high life. And, you know, it is to a certain extent because, you you know, like I said, you're playing a game that you love and you're getting paid to do it. But, you know, I I don't think people really realise that it's not all the glitz and glamour that you see on TV and, you know, just how difficult the trainings are, you know. Just how difficult, you know, having to pack your bags and, you know, jump on a flight. You know, yeah, it's like, it's like a roller coaster.
0: It's like everything, really, isn't it? You <laughs> kind of have these great days and then obviously it could just end like that or you could be battling with injuries for months, kind of just for that little two week high or whatever it is or how long it'll last. You never know. It's always Definitely. quite up and down. It's an emotional roller coaster, really, isn't it?
1: Well, you sound like a guy that, that handles it pretty well, bro. So fingers crossed that the good stuff keeps coming your way. But. Um, so you obviously finished up with Super Rugby Aotearoa and then you're back with Counties uh, for the latest Mighty Ten Cup season?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, so well, h- h- how did that compare to last year? I know you guys managed to get a few more wins this year, but I mean, even for you, like, even in your development as a player and I guess the development of the Counties group as a whole, was, was there much of a change or, you know, did, did much change for you within 12 months?
0: Yeah, so we had, like, a lot of young players um, this year so uh we wouldn't it wouldn't been as experienced last year so i felt like kind of i personally had a very poor season and i've probably learned a lot about leadership in that regard because obviously because i've been used to being like one of the younger lads in the team and kind of looking up all these big leaders and kind of like looking to them for the answers and stuff like that but then i felt the tables had kind of turned this year not not a whole pile obviously i wasn't in the leisure group or anything, but I was one of the kind of senior players, probably the first time in my career, so I kind of struggled with that a lot, I felt. Yeah, I learned a lot, personally, and kind of hopefully I can kind of use that to come forward in the next few years to kind of develop myself as a player as well.
1: Yeah, well, like you said, again, that shows how quickly sort of rugby can change one minute. You're You're the young, but sort of looking up to things, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're the guy that's played a couple of super rugby games, and you're being asked to perhaps fill a role that you're not quite used to. So, I mean, yeah, fingers crossed that you get your second opportunity and kick on and become more comfortable in your more senior role. But, yeah, so you finish up team Cup. And, I mean, like, what what's the go for you now? I know we talked off air before about you're parked up in Mount Maunganui at the moment, but what is the go for you? Like, um, perhaps, you know, obviously you're waiting out for a super deal, but will you then head back to Dunedin or Christchurch to play club rugby? if. Nothing eventuates or are you look to park yourself up and tow for the time yeah, being?
0: I don't really know. I kinda of just was hoping to get like a injury replacement for super this year, but obviously nothing came up. So now I was like I was quite bored of pooky and I feel like I, I need I need to live beside a beach to kinda of just Yeah, seize the day. So I said I just <laughs> got my bags packed up and moved to um, Mount Manganui there about a month ago. So I'm kinda of just cruising here until until something happens, train away and then I had to get a job there after Christmas because, yeah, I don't know how long I can probably fund myself without without working. So I got a job in a bar after Bay Dreams. I kind of just went into a random bar and was like, asked them if they had needed anyone and they said yeah. I, I, I told them I had experience working in the bar but I didn't. I think I kind of soon realised and I started my shift two hours later. So.
1: Well, hopefully they're not listening to this podcast. I mean, e- even if they have clicked on, maybe it's not the best thing for them No, they definitely so.
0: clicked on us. <laughs> I can be honest with them now. <laughs> I made enough mistakes in the last two days.
1: Fair enough, bro. We all do. Um, I, I guess that encapsulates everything that I wanted to gather from your rugby journey, bro. But um, I want to end on two notes. So I, I have a funny thing, which I like to wrap the whole podcast up with, but... You know, obviously being the professional scene, you know, you, you guys are, are very much creatures of habit or creatures of routine. So do you have like a certain thing that you do, I guess, maybe before or after games? And what, is your, what does a game day look like for you? Do you have to sleep in? Do you have to have a certain meal? Like what's a rundown of um, Mr. O'Donnell's day when footy's being played at night?
0: Um, so usually on a seven o'clock game, um, I kind of just, the night before a game, I'll probably either go out for dinner or like go to the cinema or something like that, and then have a stretch that night. And then the next game, I get a good eight to nine hours sleep. I'll usually get up a bit earlier to have my breakfast. So I kind of won't be eating too much before games and stuff like that. Mm
1: -hmm. Or like
0: kind of just like be too full for my next meal, closer to the the match. So I'll get up maybe about eight or nine, then have a meal, try to keep away from coffee until kind of closer to the game. And then I'll probably just, I like to just get out and about, get out of the house
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or keep my mind off the game. So i kind of like whatever, go around town, get a decaf with someone on the team or else kind of play Xbox for a few hours and then I'll have a stretch before I go to the, to the game and then just get to the game maybe a bit earlier than we're meant to and then kind of just cruise out in the pitch. Nothing, I'm not too superstitious about anything. So I kind of just, just go with it, try to keep my mind off the game. Eat yeah. pretty normally and kind of hydrate.
1: Hmm. <laughs> the so not there's not even like a playlist that you run or anything like that.
0: I have like a game day playlist, but I might change it. It's gotten pretty, gotten pretty <laughs> stale at this stage.
1: All right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: have a coffee before the game or a can of Red Bull in the dressing room,
1: mm-hmm. just to kind of perk me up. I mean, it's all go all good yeah. to go. I mean, how do you find it though? So when you obviously starting. I don't know, I find it weird, like, of course, everyone loves to start, but I find that I don't like going too intense in a warm-up or, I guess, you know, perhaps having a Red Bull or a coffee if I know I'm not starting, because, you know, there's still that delay as to when, you know, you know, when you're going to get on, like, I, I hate the feeling of when you warm-up or you give yourself a good warm-up, and there's sort of that, that cool-down period, I guess, for the first 40 minutes of the game when you're not on, so... I mean, like, yeah. yeah. Suppose
0: when you're like not starting though, you kind of spend half the warm up, kind of like holding bags or kind of like running plays against the the starters. Mm-hmm. So you kind of don't actually burn that much energy. True. But um, yeah. You kind of just time your caffeine intake then.
1: Fair, fair. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not a caffeine guy before a footy game, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a real I'm a real big dude on on warming up properly, or I have to warm up properly because. I tend to sort of tweak something if I if I don't, yeah. But it's always finding that balance for me in terms of not going too intense where I, you know, I sort of I'm looking to hit the ground running, and then I'm having to chuck a, a jacket on and, and be waiting in the subs bench. But yeah, fingers crossed for this upcoming season. I I find that perfect balance, bro. Well, well hopefully I I get to start. Um, but I'll have to earn that in the preseason, man. But enough about me, bro. We'll go back to you. This is the last segment. I call it ten in the bin so I've got ten questions for you bro and I just need you to answer them as honestly as possible please oh jeez go on (laughs) alright question number one what's your go to vessel with a pre-drinks
0: oh long white or spades oh
1: that's an interesting
0: depending on the night
1: fair I'm guessing you picked up spades for your time in Dunedin or did you like it beforehand oh
0: nah I liked it when I was in counties but I kind of picked up on even more in Dunedin yeah probably going
1: to get a space tattoo on me soon <laughs> I won't ask you where um, who was the who is the biggest coach's pet you've been around or played with
0: oh Nick Haggerty
1: <laughs> uh, okay uh, what's your must on a day off
0: uh, go to the beach
1: nice well you couldn't really do that in Pukekohe could you or did you no. shoot down to Raglan anything like that
0: oh no that's why what... <laughs> I got fed up with the place for that reason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Least favourite fitness block?
0: Um, down ups, Malcolm's.
1: Yeah. Good call. Favourite cheat meal? Uh, pizza. Nice. Me too. Most regretful baller purchase. So what have you gone out, and splashed a whole lot of money on and then instantly regretted doing it?
0: Um, So my first ever professional uh paycheck i bought a, a hoverboard but I, d- I don't think i regret it i had a great time with it like it's pretty dusty now and like uh lads i live with used to just kind of take the piss of it and went down the stairs on it and
1: broke it a bit so i
0: suppose mm. that's the biggest the biggest regret
1: fair okay guilty music pleasure um justin bieber Bro, we we're very similar with these questions, bro. I don't know what it is. Okay, well, oh, this this will be a this will be a big one. Watch your go to dance move.
0: Oh, probably the 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 pack.
1: The pack. Can you explain the that worm. to me? What's it? Oh, the worm. The okay. worm. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. I'm just you know I'm, I'm picturing a big fella like yourself hitting the deck and, and doing the worm. Well, I can't do it, so I'd I'd be in awe. Agile, if
0: I... agile as a bag of concrete. <laughs>
1: All right, biggest grub you played with and against.
0: Um, uh, Peter Claffey, lad in Ireland.
1: All right, last question, bro. You've got to finish the sentence for me. Saturdays are for
0: the boys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Kiwi lads have trained you up very well, by the sounds of it. <laughs> or, or is that the same go back in Ireland?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Great. It's a, it's a worldwide meme <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm guessing like the with the similarities in the Irish and Kiwi culture that you were only ever going to answer that question one way, bro. But um, with that bringing an end to um, my interview with you, bro, I just want to reiterate again, um, thank you very much for um, coming onto my show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and learn a little bit about yourself and you know your experiences and you know you. I guess, filling me in on the on the differences in the way that the game's played both here and abroad. And um, fingers crossed for you. Um, I mean, you don't really want to wish injury on anyone, but um, fingers crossed that, you know, when the inevitable does happen, um, you're the first guy that a team gets on the blower to to extend your time here in New Zealand.
0: Perfect. Thanks for having me, boy.
1: <laughs> Thanks, brother. I'll catch you later.